You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, welcome, River. So good to see you guys. I trust and pray you're doing well. And if you didn't get the email, and Dan uh, indirectly alluded to this earlier, but uh, we're grateful for uh, the vote for Steve, that it just, uh, that it was unanimous and just so excited about that. And so pray for Steve and as uh, he uh, pursues ordination and we kind of walk through that extra process as well. And it's just exciting that God provides for his church. And uh, I just, I love that, really, really do. Well, you know, something that is, you can go ahead and turn to Esther chapter 2 while I kind of get going. So Esther chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking. So I was kind of reflecting a little bit on my life. You know, everybody has disappointments in life, right? That's part of the common human experience. For some, they run into those disappointments really early in life, in childhood, in teenagers, and and can uh, they struggle and wrestle trying to process and put things together, where they whether they lose a parent or just some some things in life that they just wish weren't didn't turn out. But is it not a mark of maturity as we move into adulthood of just handling and, and walking through those things differently in a more uh, a more robust or a better way of understanding them and processing them. I don't know that we ever get great at it because life continues to throw more and more disappointments. I want to be careful because we we hear enough bad news during the week, right? Anybody with me like, I got enough bad news. Can I just like, you know, turn on some good news that things really are better than the one that I think the media makes it out to be. But regardless, uh, we go through some challenges in life. And this morning, I want to answer the question. I want us to help us to wrestle with how do we handle it when life disappoints us? How do we handle it when things don't turn out the way that we expect? How do we handle it when we go through those disappointments in, in life. We're, as we started this series in the book of Esther, as we'll see this morning especially, Esther had to go through some heavy challenges early in life. She had to walk through some really painful experiences, and for whatever reason, God didn't give us a snapshot into her world, the how she processed and handled that. We just see the end results. And what God is trying to show us, guys, this morning is that regardless of the challenges that we're walking through in our life, that God in heaven who loves us and as we are his children through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, that his eye is upon us and he is there with us in the middle of those things. It's so fascinating because Esther is the one book in the Bible that nowhere mentions God. Nowhere, God is nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be. He's not referenced anywhere. And yet his invisible hand is in every page. In every page we just see incredible coincidences, incredible just so happens that, you know, these things are going on. And what God is telling us this morning, guys, and, and really throughout the whole book especially, is that when you and I are walking through those times to look up, because the invisible hand of God is at work deeply in our lives, and we kind of need to have eyes to see and a heart of faith to walk through those. So, so read with me if you would, Esther chapter two. I'm gonna we're gonna read straight through the the 18 verses this morning to kind of get the whole story, and then I'm gonna share three or four things out of them. So read with me, starting in verse one of Esther chapter two. The Bible says this. 
After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated. If you had the New International Version, your translation will probably say Xerxes. Maybe your other translations do. Modern history tells us it's Xerxes. It's the same guy, different, you know, you change, you translate a name to a different language and all of that, and the names kind of spit out a little bit differently, if you will, out of the, the automatic translator, but that's who we're talking about. It's Xerxes, or King Ahasuerus is actually who it's, who it's talking about here in, in, this, uh, in the original. But after his anger had abated, remember, he got mad. He said, Vashti, my queen, come on demand. I'm the man, I'm in charge, I'm king. And we talked about how ridiculous that was last week. And she refused. So he got angry and said, you're no longer going to come into my presence. You're no longer queen. You're just going to be a, a, a woman in my harem that I'll never see again for the rest of my life and the rest of your life. And he got angry. And after that, the anger had departed. History tells us it's probably about four years has gone by here. He fought a war with, with, Greek, uh, with Greece, lost that war, so he's back home, and he's kind of like, ah, I don't have a queen. Oh, I'm not sure what I did. He, he's thinking through all those things. Verse 2, Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. We can go get another one. Go find beautiful young virgins. Plural, S. And let the king appoint officers in all the province of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who's in charge of the women. His job was to make sure the king had all the pleasure that he wanted, that all the ladies in the harem were ready to go for the king. Pathetic. But that was what they did. He said, that the, they went on to say this, let their cosmetics be given them. And then verse 4, and let the young woman who pleases the king, let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Hey, king, we think we need to invent a reality show called The Bachelor. And by the way, you get to keep all the women, not just one, and the one you like gets to be queen, and, but all of them really are going to be ultimately yours. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that really did happen. In verse 5, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away by Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. This Mordecai was a Jew. He was in exile along with his fellow Jews. His great-great-grandfather was sold into exile as a slave. He comes as a recent immigrant. He came as, with a heritage of slavery under the Babylonian rule and now under the Persian Empire. Tremendous challenges in their family life. He was bringing up Hadassah. We know her as Esther. That is Esther. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah. But her Persian name was Esther, Ishtar, uh, recognizing their faith and their religion. And she was the daughter of his uncle, the Bible says, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. They were cousins, but he obviously was older and took her in to raise her. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and many, uh, when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai. Notice the words. She was taken 
not according to her will, not according to what she wanted, and she was put in custody. <laughs> she was under arrest, under the charge, under the, the authority and care of the kingdom and of this other man. In verse 9, And the young woman pleased him, talking about Haggai, and won his favor. Esther pleased him. And he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace. And he advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Can you imagine the drama amongst those ladies? Why does she get the best place? What has she got that I don't have? Well, you're just the king, the favorite. What, can you imagine just the compounded, just, just the challenges of all of that? Oh, wow. Esther, in verse 10, had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Don't let anybody know you're a Jew. We're looked down upon. We're not liked. You keep it secret. In verse 11, And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. In verse 12, And when the turn came for each young woman to go into the king, Ahasuerus, regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil and myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments for women. They got a year-long spa beauty treatment to get them ready for their one night with, with king, the king. When the young women went, woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. If the king liked her, remembered her name, she might get to come in again at some point. Had no idea. If not, that was it. She spent the rest of her life there, in essence, as a, as a widow. Uh, a type of widowhood, just living in, in the harem, a possession of the king. Verse 15, When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, women advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month, month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. Don't think of this love as a, oh, you're wonderful, I'm going to sacrifice my life for you. Let's just be honest. Wow, you're amazing. You're hot, I would say. He would say. Yeah, I like you. I want you to be my, you know, the one that I get to show off to everybody. You'll be my new showpiece. So he loved her more uh, than all the other. And she won grace and favor in his sight, the Bible says, more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen of Vashti. Pray with me, would you? Father, I am grateful for this story for this reality. Lord, I can only imagine how difficult it was for Hadassah to experience losing her parents, to head into the, the palace of the king, to walk through all of that. 
reality drama TV. And to know at the end of the day, the best that could possibly happen is that she would still be just a showpiece to the king. And worse, she'd live her life in lonely isolation, almost a forced widowhood. Lord, I'm grateful that you helped her to walk through those challenges. And Lord, I'm grateful of the truths that we're going to see or that we see in this passage that you're a God, that even when we walk through difficult days, when we walk through darkness, when we walk through things we don't know how they're going to turn out, that you are there, your eye is on us. Father, we love you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine if for a moment put yourself in her shoes, just the, the challenges of life that she had to walk through at a very early age, Big message, if you miss anything else this morning, I want you to recognize that when life disappoints us, when things don't turn out the way we want, when, when expectations don't roll, and, and let's be really honest, if, if you've lived very long in your life, you realize that very few things really truly work out the way you kind of hope, right? Disappointments is normal of life. There's, as I look at in my adult life, there's just so many things that I've been disappointed in. There's a number of things I'm like, wow, God just blessed in ways that I did not expect, and that's amazing, and I, I walk in that and it's just amazing as we know him more and more but there's so many things that just our expectations are not even close to where that happens can you and when we walk through that I want us to recognize that God's eye is still on us that his hand his invisible sovereign hand of protection is still over us that we walk within a bubble that he creates around us not that we're untouchable from the world around us but then in the middle of it, he's still caring. He's still providing. He's still making sure there's limits to what can be done to us. And if we have the faith in our heart and the, the eye to see and discernment, we walk humbly in those difficult, challenging days. Put yourself in her shoes. She came from a family whose legacy was slavery, whose legacy was, was the worst of the worst. They were the spoils of war, the Babylonian Empire. Her great-great-great-grandfather was a slave, brought against his will to a foreign land, left, uh, left Israel and all the hope that there was. So she had brought up hearing those stories, experiencing the legacy, experiencing the poverty, experiencing the challenges in all of her life. And then as a young girl, not able to make her way in this world, she loses not just her mother, she loses her father both. And the, the, the challenge and the difficulty, what do I do now? And yet God was there providing for her and her cousin, Mordecai. And Mordecai took her in and consoled her. I can imagine the, the teary nights that she had, the questions burning in her heart. Why? The wonderings, God, are you out there? Do you love me? God, why is this so hard? Can you imagine the, the, the difficulty in her life? And then just as she seems to be early, you know, headed toward adulthood, we don't know how she long, old she was, probably a teenager, probably quite young. And she was a beautiful woman by everybody's account. And as the king sent out the word, okay, all the beautiful women now come to me. And she, against her, she was taken against her will and put into that crazy drama, warped, messed up beauty pageant for one shot to be queen. And even if she became queen, 
She was going to be walking in with this guy who could have any woman on any given night that he wanted, who really wasn't interested in loving her, no form, way, form of being any kind of soulmate, if you will. And that would be her life, the rest of her life. Not only lost her mother and father, but lost Mordecai, her only father that she had known in recent history, and walked through that. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of loss early in life. You and I, when we walk through those things, lesser things, hard to picture it being much worse other than just terminally ill kinds of things. But when we walk through those things, we need to recognize that even though this world has all of the challenges that come our way, and even though God allows, and there's a mystery in the sovereignty of God that you and I can never, our brains cannot make sense of it. We, to us, we want simple math, you know, one plus one equals two, and we want life to kind of boil down to that, that everything works this way according to the way we want. And for God's like, no, this is advanced high, and this is beyond calculus, this is way beyond what any mathematician can figure out, that I'm a sovereign God, and I control and rule this world. I don't create evil. I don't in, invite evil. I have not made that happen. I am not responsible for it, but I've allowed it. And even when I allow it, I still always leverage it for good for us, for my people. And so you and I need to look and to see that even though Esther was walking through difficult times that God provided Mordecai for her, and even though her family was sold in slavery, God somehow through all those years provided and protected and nurtured along that family line. And with all, through all their vulnerabilities and, and through this time that, that God was, gave her Mordecai when she lost her parents. No, he wasn't a substitute, but what a loving, doting cousin. I have several cousins. I'm not sure I would have done that for any of my cousins. Would you have done that for your cousins? Probably not. Not too many of them. You know, I'd have been more fighting with them or whatever. But here he was. She goes in the palace and every day, every day, just how is she? Just taking care of her. And even then when she's thrown as it were to the wolves into the world she had never known from slavery to now into the palace, how in the world is she supposed to act in the middle of royalty? Oh, Wow. And all of the confusion in that, that God gave her favor even there. Because family, after all, should take care of you. But she even found favor there. I want to encourage you, when you walk through those things, whether the challenges are difficult, when you feel like life is not treating you fairly, and things stink, and you just wish it were different, and you complain and have your little pity party, as we all do, and you, you, you know, cry and all that, somehow after that, you need to step back and say, but God, I'm not without hope. God, you are there, and I trust you. You see, you and I have only one of two choices. As followers of Jesus Christ who've surrendered our life to him in faith as Lord of our life, we can either, in our heart, underneath the pain, assume and think that, well, God doesn't love me anymore. God's not taking care of me. God has fallen asleep to the switch. God, I give you a B- minus right now on how you're taking care of me. Yeah, I haven't starved to death, so I'm not going to give you... You haven't failed, but I'm not giving you an A right now because I don't like this. I don't want to go through this, God. We can either have that attitude, which we do more than we should, or we can say, God, I don't like this. 
But God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust that your invisible hand... In fact, you know what, God, as I look through this, I do see some little breadcrumbs. I see a little trail through my life that you've taken care of me. You see, the issue is our perspective. The realities aren't going to change. The issue is our per perspective. The second thing I want you to notice, not only does God have his eye on us, but we need to recognize that God is doing something. God's doing things that we know not of. That God is up to something. Something's going on. See, what was happening is, is the Jewish line was facing an a, a huge crisis that really wasn't clear yet. We don't begin to discover that crisis until ch the next chapter, three or four. And what the Bible was telling us in a very subtle way is that before these crises hit in our lives, God is so sovereign that he's already working the solution out before we ever get there. You see, God was putting in place a secret agent, his little CIA operative, if you will, inside the palace, put her into the very close proximity to the king because there was about to be an edict that all the Jews would be exterminated. It's bad, worse than the Holocaust that we know of in modern history. But God was putting Esther in a place of position. And so even though the king was a jerk, and even though he felt like all the women in the world should have been available for his, at his own disposal for his own pleasure and all of the awfulness of that, God still protected Esther in the middle of that, but put her in a place of influence to bring about the salvation of the Jewish people. And for you and me, that means ultimately our own salvation. Because if the Jewish race comes to an end, you and I have no Savior. And you and I have no hope of heaven. Now, there was no chance that was ever going to happen. And behind this, as we know the fuller picture of the Bible, we need to recognize that the enemy of God has always, from Adam and Eve, always been at work trying to undo and undermine the hand of God. And there was nothing short of that but the enemy at work here behind the scenes. But God always has the victory. There was something much bigger going on. You see, you and I, when we struggle to find that hope and when we struggle like what's happening, when we feel like, oh, I'm under attack and all these things, sometimes we focus on that too much. Sometimes we need to back up, wait a minute, God. You're bigger than all of that. God, I'm going to trust you. The challenge comes and it's difficult because we don't, we by nature as humans don't want to walk by faith. We want to walk by sight. We want to see it. We don't want to have to walk faithfully. We don't want to have to walk through the difficulty, the loneliness, the challenges. The, the, we, we want to just have it all right in front of us so that we can be in control and so we can see it all. And we need to step back and to say, God, I don't see what you're up to right now, but I trust that you are working all things together for my good, for your kingdom good. Romans 8 tells us that God works all things together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. In other words, for those who are followers of Jesus that have received Him as Lord of their life, turned from their sins, and, and God puts a love of Him in our hearts, and we are called to salvation to Him and called according to His purpose and grace in our life. When we walk in that relationship with our God, 
God puts us under his hand, and he works all things, even in the difficulties in our life, ultimately for our good. And we can either accept it and acknowledge it in our brains, or we can walk around, woe is me, and spitting nails, and fussing, and fighting just with all of life. But we need to look up and recognize that God has something much bigger, always, always going on in our world than what we know about. Third thing, not only does God have something going on, He's much more at work in our life than we recognize, but I want you to know that trials always precede victory. Always. They did for our Lord Jesus. Without a crucifixion, there is no resurrection. That trial was so big, He said, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way, take it from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours. We want the resurrection. We want the victory. We want the salvation of our sin. But without that, without the crucifixion, Jesus walking through that hour, dying for our sins, there is no victory. You see, there is no victory after unless there is a race. There is no winning without walking through the, the challenges and the difficulties. We know the rest of the story of Esther. And I'm sure there were still challenging days for her after Queen. I'm sure she looked back in her life like, yeah, God used me, and wow, it was amazing and great, but I still kind of wish I had a little bit differently. Still wish I could have just maybe had a simpler life. But even so, she looked back and saw the hand of God that that was so hard. But God brought an incredible victory that my life my cousin's life and all of my family and friends were doomed to die. And we walked through that challenge, that trial, but God gave us victory in the middle of it. By the way, part of that unfolding that God's up to something as we walk through those trials, we need to realize that God is building your ability to walk through those trials through your life. Do you think it would be easier for Esther to just lose Mordecai, her only father that, that she had known in recent history, to step into that world of a palace to a world she had never known. I can't help but she thought, I lost my mom and dad. You see, God allowed one trial in her life, heavy one, to prepare her for an even bigger one for the rest of her life. And she allowed her family to go through one level, and she experienced another one. God allows the trials in your life to build you. It's kind of like exercise, to build your stamina, to build your endurance, to build your faith, because He's got some bigger things that He's working toward in your life. Those things, we kind of... We graduate, whether it's high school or college or whatever, we just think, okay, now the world's mine. I want to do all this. And God's like, no... You're still not as smart as you think you really are. You really don't have as much experience as you think you do. I had some stuff I want you to do in your life and through you later on. And you're now in my school. And my school takes longer. And it's harder. And he's building in us in those things. That we only get to that victory through those trials. You see what... Obviously, we, we don't know what teary nights and challenges that we had with Esther, but God was building in her a deep dependence upon Him. What am I going to do? Pulled out all of her surroundings that were familiar to her, 
deepening her trust in him, creating a level of dependence that all she had was God. Everything else was stripped from her, teaching her to, to endure, putting a, a steel rod down her back to stiffen her and strengthen her over time, to teach a gratitude in her life. See, you and I don't get to that place where we have that sit back with such a satisfaction of either seeing God provide or enjoy that victory without walking through those challenges. You guys, most of you know how we've battled different home issues in our home. Every homeowner does, but I feel like we've had an inordinate number of those in our home. And one of the ones we've been challenged with is just water issues of various things for the last 15 years. Well, just recently we found a new well that we kind of knew was there somewhere from the previous owner. Like our water's just been horrible. It's sulfur and it goes in and out from wells and just, you've heard some of the stories. Well, in our most recent remodeling project, we found the well is not kind of what I, where I was expecting or exactly what I was expecting, but it was five feet under the floor in our den, like five feet below. Like there's this big cavity. I'm like you can store dead bodies there. If, if things really get bad, we got a place. Like, you know, we almost a nuclear shelter in our own, under our house. Long story short, I won't bore you, we pulled the pump out of the well, put a new pump down, wired in a new everything, and the water that came out of there is like, oh my goodness. This tastes great. Well, I put a filter on it. Then it tastes great. No more buying bottled water. Like, I just, you know, before that, even before all this, I never gave it a thought. Turn on the taps. No, good, just water, whatever. But when you and I go through those trials, it teaches us a gratitude and appreciation of life. It reprioritizes the things of life. It teaches us wisdom. There's so many things, endurance in our life that God teaches us. And you got to walk through those before you get to the victory. Fourth thing I'm going to do, I'm going to do this quickly. How you respond to these things really matters. How you respond to these trials matters. I know that, you know, it's increasingly popular today. Express yourself. Let it all out. And Days gone by, even with kids, you know, seen and not heard generations ago was kind of the mentality. Now it's just let the kid express themselves. Can, can I just put a little wisdom in there for us? The Bible tells us that when we look inside our hearts, there's nothing in there that pleases God. Nothing. Like, everything is corrupted in sin. So when we express that which is on the inside, what are people going to see? <laughs> it's not all good. When our kids express themselves, what they're expressing is sin <laughs> and, and bad attitudes and wrong stuff. And as parents, yeah, we shouldn't just bottle it up and just, you know, you don't get to, to respond or say anything. But a wise parent says, oh, I see that selfishness, kind of like poker. And I raise you a little discipline, and now we're going to deal with that. I see that, you know, rebellion in your heart, and now we're going to address it. You see, how you and I respond to these things in life, what I'm trying to say matters. We live in a world where we feel like we ought to just be able to just bleh on everybody and everyone around us. That's not the way God looks at it. God's like, no, you don't get to do that. 
That's not for you. Oh, that may be what other people do. That might be what other parents allow their kids to do, but not my kids. You're my kids. And I'm trying to teach you to trust me. See, we don't know ultimately. I'm sure that Queen Esther had some real challenges processing all of that. I'm sure she had many fearful, anxiousness, stressful nights and whatever. But you know what we do see? Is Queen Esther walking forward in obedience and faith all the way. And that's what God wants you and I to do. To not stay paralyzed. Why can't I just have it differently? Not kind of throwing our little temper tantrum as an adult. But taking the hit. Saying, God, I see you're trying to do something deeply in my life. God, I don't like this, but would you help me? I'm walking forward in that. How you and I respond in the middle of these things deeply, deeply matters to God. Are we going to allow Him to train our heart? Are we going to allow Him to use us for something bigger that we don't even fully realize yet? And maybe not fully realize until eternity in heaven? Behind all those things? Or are we going to allow Him to teach us a dependence in Him? You see, left our own devices. The basic heart of every human being is to want to live independently of God. Stubbornness. People come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses why they don't believe in God, and they want, they look at the world around them and try to, you know, make God responsible for things that are not His fault. But at the real heart, why people don't want to believe in God is because they don't want to. We don't want to be accountable. We don't want to look to somebody else. We don't want to be humbled. We want to live independently. And God uses all these things in our life to subdue us, to woo us, to build into us a heart after Him all along the way. So this morning, as you think through these difficulties, maybe that you've gone or going through now, or maybe distant past, God has been kind of brought something back to your mind, maybe even something that you've forgotten about. Pay attention to those. God the Holy Spirit works in the heart of His children. Those thoughts aren't just random. And my question to you is, is what was God trying to teach you then? What is God trying to teach you now? What is He trying to build into your heart? Is it an endurance? Is it a humility? Is it a faith? Is it a strengthening? Is it to trust Him? Is it to not make everything about you? Is it to accept that He's doing something bigger in your life? Is He trying to teach you something? Or maybe God is allowing those things in your life to reveal something of Himself. You see, when we're going through the trial, we don't see that. We don't get that till we walk through the trial, till we get the victory. It's no. F I, I love to hike, you know that. I love the view. I love breaking out a tree line or coming to the incredible view. And there's sometimes along the hike that's just not fun. With that, it's just hot, sweaty, hard. But you don't get to the end result without walking through the God trying to, what is God trying to show of Himself as you walk through that difficulty? What is God trying to reveal to you? Maybe you have a little bit of a sense of it. You might not get the full picture until on the backside, but what is God trying to reveal in you? What is God trying to do in the lives of people around you as you walk through this? 
What's he trying to teach you to accept? What's he doing? So reflect on that for a moment. I'm going to pray and we'll end our service, as you guys know. And think about what those purposes are in your life. Maybe you're not in the middle of a real trial right now. Maybe we got something coming on and God's just like, you need this sermon today because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. But whatever God has been speaking in your heart this morning, respond to Him. He sent His Son Jesus to die to pay for our sin. And now we get to live the rest of our life in faith, trusting Him. See, it's not just about our salvation from sin. It's about our life with Him. That's what God is really trying to do. It's about living that out the rest of our life. So think through where life has let you down, where you aren't happy, where you've said, it's just not fair. Why does it have to be this way? And what, what is God really trying to do with His invisible hand inside your heart, His invisible hand and His kingdom purposes around you, and that's where you need to dwell, to ask Him to work inside of you, to trust Him, to turn to Him, to confess whatever sins and self-reliance and, and wanting this world to be about you. Admit those sins and those doubts and say, God, I trust you. I want to live and walk for you. Whatever this new world is that I'm walking in, God, I trust you. Would you do that today? Pray with me. Father, thank you for Jesus who is Lord. Thank you that we always have hope. Father, we know that life has many left turns, curveballs that it throws at us that you allow. And God, at times it feels like you're silent. It feels like you're not really giving us answers. Things don't make sense to us. But God, we recognize through Esther that while life often will do that, that you have a greater purpose inside of us for each of those things, and you have a greater purpose of what you're up to in the world around us that we're clueless about. Lord, forgive us for being so low-minded that we just think it's all about our little world and our own desires, our own comforts. Forgive us when we doubt you. Forget us when we ignore you. And Lord, would you help us to walk in faith, to walk in humility, to be strengthened by the trials and difficulties of life. And God, we put ourselves and our families, our church, our, our individually, put ourselves before you to be for you to do your work through us. God, would you use us in the lives of our co-workers, those around us. Would you use us to lead other people to you, to change other people's lives, to glorify yourself, and for us to simply know you. Father, I, I pray your, those kinds of blessings in each of our lives today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, have a blessed week. And as you think through those trials, don't forget these truths. They're powerful. They'll get you through them, and they'll help you. Have a great week. 
Thanks for listening. Join us on Sundays at 9.30 and 11 or online at riveralbany.com.